Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Save up to $450 on a Gibson Les Paul Studio Deluxe, up to $900 on a Gibson Les Paul Trad Pro 4, or save up to 20% on other select Gibson guitars. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Locked On Cavaliers. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Today we're going to preview Cavs Warriors from all angles with Danny LaRue, the host of Locked On Warriors, a writer for The Athletic, a writer for The Sporting News, and the co-host of the NBA Twitter show with Nate Duncan, it's a great show. You can watch that at halftime of NBA games when they do that on Twitter, and it's just live right on Periscope. Check that out. But Danny helped us preview this game, again, from every angle possible. Talked about Kyrie and Steph and Kevin Love and Duran and all the star players in this game. We did record this before the news about JR's extended absence was announced by the team. If you missed the news, JR is going to be out 12 to 14 weeks now instead of the originally believed 4 to 6. So that's kind of a bummer for the Cavs, but... He's still going to be back early enough. If you want more on that, I recorded a separate episode just talking about JR that is already up on iTunes and Audio Boom if you haven't listened to it already. And that'll get you everything you need to know about JR. Also, a Facebook live chat if you want to. Another version of that same kind of take over at Fear the Sword that was up on our Facebook page and then I embedded over on the site. So check those out, but do that after you listen to this podcast. And without further ado, here's today's show with Danny LaRue from Locked on Warriors. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we're a a couple of days away right now from the big Christmas Day game, but of course it's looming large on both teams' calendars. So where do you want to start with this? I mean, there are a lot of different things to discuss. These teams haven't faced each other since Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, you could pick a ton of different places, right? I mean, you could talk about how the Cavs are going to defend Durant. You could talk about how... Uh, the war if the Warriors are better off this year or worse in certain ways than last year defensively, which I think they're probably better. Um, but I think the thing to me that's the most interesting about this game that I can't figure out and that maybe you can answer better than me is what the heck is Kevin Love going to do in this game? Like he's been really good so far this year, right? But he doesn't exactly have obvious ways to succeed in this game. He's, he certainly will probably do well offensively. I think I think you can post him up against a lot of different lineups. You can do useful things with him. But I don't know who he defends when the Warriors go small. Is he playable in those situations? I don't know. I think against the starting lineup, you probably have to have him defend Zaza. Or if JaVale's on the floor, you have him defend JaVale. But if the Warriors go small, I don't know if you can play Kevin Love. And that's kind of a problem. 
they'll probably just put him on Iguodala. It's not a perfect solution, but in this kind of a context, you kind of might as well. But yeah, it, it's weird because these teams, the Cavs are in many ways similar to what they were last year, except for JR being out with this thumb issue. The Warriors are substantially different. You know, this is a team that the structure is not that different just because they play a center, then they pull a center, play some small lineups and all that kind of stuff. But Kevin Durant, Harrison Barnes is a pretty significant change. And then a lot of the bench guys are are very different and the sub pattern is very different. So with Love, I'm guessing they'll uh, they'll try to use him to attack switches offensively. It's something that he can do well. It's actually one of his one of his bigger strengths beyond just when he can when his shot is on, of course, that's wonderful. But defensively, you're right. It will be a problem for them when the Warriors play small. But I don't think they're going to go small that often in this game. Why, what makes you say they're not going to go uh, that small in this game? Kerr hasn't really used it that much. It's been a, a show of respect. Periodically, he goes to it in the regular season, like particularly this year, at the end of the first quarter. But usually it's the end of the second. And then if the game is still close, the end of the fourth quarter. But... It, throughout this kind of run, the, the title last year, the Western Conference and the finals last year, various people involved, especially Draymond Green and Kerr himself, have said that playing Draymond at center is more physically taxing on him. And that makes sense. I mean, when you think oh, about absolutely. what you're asking him to do. And partially due to what happened last year and LeBron and a million other things, the Warriors aren't prioritizing the regular season in the same way as last year. So. They are not at the point where they're just like punting games. That's just not what they're doing. But they are not pushing full bore really at all. And actually, one of the elements of this game that I'm most excited for is to see whether those general norms from this regular season are applicable to this game or if they just treat it differently because of all the history. Yeah, I think on both sides, there are certainly ways that I think it might make sense for the norms to be different, right? Like, I think the Cavs, uh, they're around 15th defensively. They've been lower than that this year in terms of defensive efficiency. I could see them playing harder on defense in this game and putting in more of an effort. Like, I think structurally, they have issues defensively that are going to keep them from maybe being as good of a defense as they were last year. Certainly no rim protection or ideal rim protection is an issue, but... I think you could see more of a defensive effort in this game. I think they're going to have issues, of course. Like Kyrie is going to probably struggle defensively in this game, although he was passable in the finals when he played with a lot of effort, and he doesn't always play with a lot of effort on that end. And there's just these little things in this game that I really want to see. I think the the Iguodala and Love thing is really interesting because I want to kind of see how that plays out because it's... We, we can't put too much stock into a regular season game because we saw that last year that some of that doesn't matter goes out the window when the playoffs come. And if the Warriors would probably... You, you would probably guess that they would use their small lineup more in June than they would now because if you need to go to in a game seven, you're just going to go to in a game seven if it's going to win you the title. These little things like Kevin Love uh, guarding Andre Iguodala, can the Warriors make him pay in space like that? And is it, can Iggy do that for five possessions you know, in a short span or a call, even just three possessions in enough span where Tyron Lou goes away from love and takes away a guy who's been the Cavs' second best player this year, in my opinion, off the floor. I think those little things are just going to be kind of fascinating. My biggest question for this is just, will LeBron care? What is his approach going to be to this game? Because there are kind of traps either way. You know, if he takes it seriously and they lose, then that's not the greatest, greatest thing in the world. It's also not a big deal. But... If he takes it takes it a little bit looser and the Warriors win, so so 
I'm legitimately unsure. And why it matters more for LeBron than the Warriors is that some of the Warriors are going to care. Like Draymond Green is going to be out there playing 100%. But from what I can tell, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, LeBron is more of a tone setter than anything. Like that, That's one of the key roles that he has on this Cavs team. And some of the more lax games that they've had have been kind of keyed by him in that way. You're 100% correct. Um, I think if you look at the Cavs, they just played the Bucks. And normally, and I think you've hit on this too when you've talked to uh, Nate Duncan on that pod, they struggle when LeBron goes off the floor. And that makes sense because he's LeBron freaking James and you're, of course, going to struggle when he goes off the floor. It was a big, big moment for this team when Kyrie scored a bunch of points in a row and extended the lead when LeBron left the court at the end of the third quarter against the Bucks on Wednesday. It wasn't a long stretch. It was a minute and 19 seconds, but it mattered because you saw them finish really strong without him on the floor, um, and they fed off that too. But you're right. LeBron is the uh, is the trendsetter. He sets the tone when they talk about opponents. I mean, there's guys last night that were talking about the Bucks as someone they might want to see in the playoffs. Kyrie in particular seems very interested in taking on the Bucks again. LeBron's like they're the Bucks, you know, like we there are bigger things for us out there. Um and I and I think you're right, but I do think he has his eye on this game. I think he loves the competition, but I don't think you'd see the finals LeBron. And it doesn't make sense to see finals LeBron him trying to go all out like that in this game. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. There's not much to be gained from doing that. But you do see a fundamental difference. I, I saw this in the Warriors in the game they played against the Blazers earlier this week, where you can tell when a team has a game circled, and whether that is for a legitimate reason or just for whatever reason, they play a little bit differently. But a lot of times that can be how it starts, but not necessarily how it finishes. So maybe it's maybe the first quarter and the fourth quarter intense are intense, and then it's just kind of lax during the middle. I, I legitimately don't know. And it's also hard. I mean, the two of us cover the teams this year that I would say the regular season is probably of of good teams. The regular season is the least important for. So I'm sitting there going, yeah, this is significant on paper. It's absolutely significant depending on what happens for these two teams. But I do not know if those if the teams are going to approach it that way or if it's going to be if it's going to be a disparity between the two because it's possible either way that one of these teams takes the Christmas Day game much more seriously than the other. Yeah, and I mean, I think with the Cavs, this is the first game I feel like they've been really revved up for this year. I don't think they really got up for that Clippers game that they had where they lost. Uh, that was for a couple different reasons. I don't think they, they've they gotten up for the Toronto games. Um, I don't think that... I think they liked going to Milwaukee this week and beating the Bucks after kind of getting beat down by them the, the last time around. I think they enjoyed winning that game. Especially, I think Kyrie, again, like really enjoyed kind of getting that win back, but... Yeah, I think this is the the Cavs' like first game this year where I feel like a lot of guys are going to get really up for it. Um, the JR do, thing certainly impacts it a little bit, though. Yeah, that's I, exactly where I was going to go with you. Is 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 Schumper going to be the guy? No, Ligon, takes advantage of this, or how are they going to? Well, see, Ligon starts, and that to me that makes sense because Tyloo is going for the keep the keep the bench the same. Uh, you want to keep the those rotations in the same because Jr. It's not like Jr. is out for the year and you have to restructure your rotation. You're going to give him on Shumper warm minutes, but you're going to start Liggins, keep Shumper coming off the bench, especially because they don't have a Mario Chalmers or a, like a traditional point guard to fill those minutes that Shumper's really filling right now and sort of the role he's filling right now. Um, I don't know. How, the, the chair thing is interesting because I could see the Cavs kind of being like, okay, like we, we know we're not at full strength. I think in their heads they know they're not the same without JR. 
Um, I mean, we saw this against the Buc- the first game they had him without the Bucks. Kyrie is making more of an effort to drive into the lane where I think he might have shot uh, and settled for a, a mid-range shot in that game when he knows there's not as much shooting outside. I think you're going to see that. But I think... I think in some way the atmosphere of that game, at least for a quarter, if it goes one way or another in the first quarter, maybe that dictates things. But I think that atmosphere is really going to amp everybody up. I know specifically, I don't know if you've ever seen the Cavs' uh, pregame intro. I have. Um, <laughs> there's one part of it that they have not edited out this year, and that is LeBron James kind of elbowing Curry from the finals. Um, the Cavs, just on, on Thursday night, they had a thing where they had one of their in-game crew members get pied in the face by Moondog, and the, the person that got pied in the face was wearing Warrior stuff. Um, it was like on a mock kiss cam. They're going to play this up, I think. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you see more finals highlights, if you see more stuff from the Warriors, you know, losing and, like, all the stuff that went wrong for them in the finals and playing it up. If, and if, like, just knowing the Warriors, and specifically knowing Draymond Green, I expect that first quarter to be very, very intense. Where it goes from there to me is interesting because if, let's say, the Warriors get out to a 12-point lead, do the Cavs take their uh, foot off the pedal? If the Cavs get up, do the Warriors say, okay, like, we don't really need to win this one today? Or does one of the teams decide, okay, we're making a big statement today? And then in the end, like, how much does it actually matter? You know? Like, I just, I, it's so hard to figure out how much it actually matters and then predict where the little nuances are going to come in terms of the effort level because, like, you would think... It, for a fan, from a fan perspective, and someone who's just going to watch this game, this is the game you circle on your calendar on Christmas Day to probably watch. It's the two biggest teams. It's the two biggest, three biggest stars in the league, and yet it could be something that isn't living up to those expectations. It's the peril of an NBA regular season game, especially among <laughs> yeah. two good teams. I, I remember last year the Warriors and Spurs. They they decided to put two of their games in like the last week and a half of the season, and both of them were disappointing for various reasons, just because. Those teams didn't really have... They had something to play for, but not a ton at that point. Something I wanted to ask you is the Warriors have changed up their rotations this year due to Durant and and everything else that's going on. And they've been playing Durant. He gets the early pull, and then he comes back late in the first, but then he gets that run at the beginning of the second quarter, which from what I remember is actually closer to what LeBron has done the last few years. Not in terms of the early pull, but in terms of starting the second quarter. is that still true, or are they kind of messing with that a little bit because of all the, the JR thing and a couple other th- elements of this team? I think we're, it's similar to what uh, we've seen in the past. I mean, you're still seeing Kyrie kind of lead things on his own. Uh, we're still seeing LeBron kind of take things on his own. The one thing that I think is different that has thrown the rotations as we kind of have known them the past two years is Kevin Love. We're seeing him play more with bench units, and it's not always ideal lineups. I think sometimes we've seen... Like a couple weeks ago, we saw him play with a lineup of Thompson, Liggins, uh, Shumpert, and J.R. Smith. There was not one person on the floor that I felt comfortable feeding him the ball in the post. <laughs> and like That's not ideal. Um, but you're seeing him play with bench units. You're seeing him play with in situations where last year, and it's not a full switch from what they did, especially in the playoffs, but you're seeing him play with those bench units. Um, and, and I kind of wonder how that's, that's going to match up with the, with the Warriors. Because I think if you're the Cavs, you want to probably play... Kevin Love maybe at the five against JaVale like maybe you want to play you know you want to they don't use it very often because it's a horrible defensive pairing but maybe you want to go to Fry and Love at the same time when, they, when the Warriors have JaVale and or whoever on the floor you want to try to pull them out of the paint um, and make it you know make it harder on them to protect the rim for guys I don't really know um, 
exactly how what they'll do because Lou isn't a guy who exactly sticks to patterns. He very much goes on feel. Sometimes we will see guys play that we haven't seen play in a week. Jordan McRae played on Thursday, and he has barely played this year, and he played about, I think, almost 10 minutes that game. You will just see things that you don't expect almost every night, and I think maybe against the Warriors, you might, you might see that, especially because... If Liggins plays really badly, maybe you see 30, 35 minutes of him on Shumper because he just can't trust Liggins to play well in a close game. The same general thing is is often true with the Warriors. Like They have this rock-solid part of their rotation, and it's solidifying a little bit more as players like Ian Clark and JaVale are settling into roles and playing well enough to earn more consistent roles. But Kerr also has a, a penchant, especially in the regular season, though it was also true in the playoffs later on to play guys basically if they haven't gotten run in a while or some sort of reason. And so I feel like we're going to get some Anderson Verjao minutes in this game. Not oh, a lot, oh boy, but oh a little boy. bit. And that would be interesting. Let's put it that way. I actually, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I was surprised, stunned maybe even, that Verjao did not get a positive reception in Cleveland during the finals because my interpretation from the Cavs end or from the Cavs fans end of what happened was that Verja just got traded because they wanted to get Channing Fry and he got kind of booed when he came back and I maybe some of that was just because he was playing for the team that had beaten them for the title and all that kind of stuff but it's like I, I didn't understand while while there are many reasons to be dissatisfied with Anderson Verja right now it didn't seem like a lot of those were from Cleveland's end. Yeah, I know. I think you hit it on the head. I think the important thing there to know is they were not really pleased that he went to Golden State. And I also think wasn't there something in the finals before he got back to Cleveland where he had like bumped somebody or you know like kind of dusted up with one of the Cavs? And I think that kind of turned him into a heel. The heel turn came really fast. <laughs> like it went from him being he and he's still beloved. Like I, I guarantee you, if he went to any restaurant in Cleveland today, you know, and he wasn't in town with the Warriors, like they would give him a free meal. And he's still insanely popular. I was at. I always count Verjao and Delhi jerseys when I go to games. Uh, he had four last night, or on Thursday when I went, or on, yeah, Wednesday when I went. And he had all these people in Verjao stuff. You still see the wigs from time to time. And I think maybe it was the uh, just him playing for the Warriors and him. I th- I really do think he might have bumped somebody because he's Anderson Verjao. And like, what else does Anderson Verjao do besides kind of getting people's faces and kind of uh, create some uncomfortable situations for people? That certainly sounds possible. I legitimately don't remember, but it's entirely knowing AV and having followed him for a long time. It's totally possible that there was something like that. And those are the types of moments that have that fans remember maybe more than players. You know, Farishow just gets involved in physical stuff constantly because when he's on the floor, he's the nicest guy. But but especially when a guy flops a lot, like that's something that fans fans remember that, and you see yeah. that all over. I think we're starting to see a little bit of that with Marcus Smart. Yeah, like fans st- remember they see him like jumping around like a fish at various moments, and they go, "Oh, I'm gonna boo that guy" and things like that. And so, and also if you're watching on TV, it's a lot easier to notice that because yeah. they because sometimes they show repeat camera angles and all that sort of thing. And yeah, so, and it, I think it, the, it, the Vine aspect of it too. It's like if someone does an insane flop or does something crazy, it's getting Vine, it's getting shared across like whatever a bajillion social channels, uh, websites and blogs are sharing content and like Marcus smart. It's like, I feel like if you Google him most of the time, there's never like a Marcus smart had a really good dunk or Marcus smart had this crazy assist. It's like Marcus fart, just Marcus smart, just faked his own death and like flopped on the floor trying to draw a foul call. Like that's what he does. Yeah, that's certainly, fan. that's certainly fair. One thing I also want to talk about with Shump is I, I get what, what you're saying. And I, and from what I've seen, it's completely right about the way that there's kind of striking his balance is that two years ago, well, a year and a half ago, if we're going to be accurate, 
he had a lot of the you know tough defensive assignments against the Warriors. He was on clay periodically. He gets switched on to Steph, and especially you know with all the weird stuff with Kyrie getting hurt in Game One of that series. And I would love to see that again, like just from a from a basketball perspective. But I understand why his greater need is actually to fill that second unit thing, which is something that Lou has had a better sense of than a lot of coaches of the idea of yeah. But part of the reason you want to do that with Liggins, why you want to have him up there is because he can't do what Shump can do on those LeBron, no Kyrie lineups. Yeah, and he's not, and it's not even that Shumpert's a good creator by any means, right? Like, I mean, he's playing out of his mind by his standards this year. Like, he's shooting still really well. He's not uh, turning the ball over every seemingly every time he dribbles. But he's competent. And with you look at DeAndre Liggins, every time he creates, it's like watching him on Shumpert from last year when he was playing maybe the worst year of his career, and he's just going to turn the ball over. When he gets the ball on offense, unless he's wide open, he almost always passes it. Uh, and that's kind of interesting, too. Like, how, what do the Warriors do defensively? I mean, do you, I would guess you probably put Clay on Kyrie. You would probably maybe put Steph on Liggins. Is that probably what you think they would do? Yes, presumably. And we'll see how much the Cavs try to make him switch back. But they could do that. But also, since it's a regular season game, maybe you keep Steph happy. He likes the point guard assignments. It was something he actually chafed at Mark Jackson a little bit about just because I think it was more not because of the way that the assignments were doled out, but it, it kind of came with this implication of like, oh, you can't do it. And he didn't like that. But in the playoffs, that's what I would what I would think they'd go to. But, you know, it's weird. Kerr surprises me sometimes with that. So I, I think they're going to do a mix of the two. They'll probably give Curry the assignment. And then if he struggles, they switch it back. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I'm interested in too. And I, I do think the Cavs will put love on the center, whoever it is, because I think yeah, having him so, def- so do I. having him defend Draymond Green sounds like you're asking to get pick and rolled with like KD and Draymond or Steph and Draymond until until death happens. Well, and how much is LeBron going to engage? Because now LeBron, you know, they had LeBron on Draymond. It was one of the things that really did swing the series. And doing that this year is very very different. Oh, and it's so, completely different. I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested because this is the first real test we've seen of that, and it's not so much how he defends uh, that I don't care as much about now, just because it's a regular season game and everything like that. But how they set the matchups, how they set kind of the schemes, those can be nice indicators of where this is going to go because it's a little bit too long of a long game to just run a completely different system because you feel like it. I mean, unless they're just going to do what they do in the regular season and change it from that. Yeah, and I think there's also the factor of LeBron's awareness level. Because sometimes we've seen him not pay attention that much on defense. If he's guarding Kevin Durant, he can't do that. <laughs> like Kevin Durant will cut off the ball, and he will get an easy lob for, a, for, for two points. He will pop out for a three and take a clean three. And that, that really changes the dynamic of the Cavs' defense, because... If love if love's defending the center like Zaza isn't you know Zaza is not exactly a great defend a great offensive player but he's he can do some certain things that love's gonna have to pay attention to. Tristan Thompson uh, is gonna have to do some serious work on Draymond Green and how does it impact the Cavs' rebounding? I mean, there's just so many layered questions, but so many of them probably could be solved if LeBron is playing a little bit more engaged on defense and is just paying attention to you know, Durant and making sure he doesn't get clean cuts to the rim because if you make the Warriors work it, you know, they may still get a three with five seconds left in the shot clock that they make because they're the freaking Warriors and they can create those looks and they're just so good at shooting. But you'd prefer to have them do that and and take your chances that way, I think, than, you know, have Durant get these clean looks to the rim after 10 seconds into the shot clock. That ties in with something that 
might be the single most most important thing for me when I'm watching this game is just it's not about whether they go in or not, but what percentage or what proportion, whatever, of the Warriors shot attempts are clean looks, are not are lightly contested or or you know, the guy isn't in the right place or something like that. I don't even particularly care in this kind of context because it's so long until the playoffs about how it happens it's just what that proportion is will be important because if they're generating up and looks like let's say it looks like they're playing the blazers or something Mm -hmm. that could be an issue like if they can generate offense to that level it'll be it'll be significant not hugely significant but significant and if the Cavs bottle them up a little bit if they whether that be through effort through execution whatever if they can do that it will be a little sign that some of the struggles that cleveland has had defensively that might be a more understandable part of not caring about the regular season because you're the NBA champions and no one in your conference threatens you. Yeah, and I th- and I think there's nothing the Cavs have seen this year that's going to prepare them for those type of situations. There's nothing they could have seen from the Raptors, nothing they can see from the Celtics, nothing they can see from you know Charlotte or whoever that's really going to prepare them for this. Just so my the, the Locked On Cavs audience knows, can you just explain how good Kevin Durant's been? Because like. I don't even know if the, just looking at the stats really does him justice for some for if people are that haven't watched him play enough. Sure, Durant. If you look at his statistics, it's one of those you know very good years, but maybe not best of the best. And so, if you think back to the year he won the MVP, you know that he's not he hasn't been that guy yet. But the most common refrain among Warriors writers, people like me who talk about the team as well, is he hasn't been selfish enough. This is Durant operating in that kind of deferential honeymoon period where you want everybody to like you and you're not really doing your thing. And the first time that really swung was in the the Blazers game. He just had a couple of times where he's just like, I'm just taking the shot. And it helped that he was doing a nice job on Mo Harkless and they were they were playing a good game. They were also just killing the Blazers as, as happened in that game and has happened fairly frequently this year. The biggest difference with Durant is not on the offensive end, it's on the defensive end. And so for the people who watch not only the the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, but in many ways more of the Spurs series, it was an actualization of Durant's defensive potential because he's athletic guy, very smart, and long. And so you're kind of sitting there going, okay, well, he could be better. You know, he had some tough assignments before that. He talks about that all the time. But he worked as a help defender in those lineups with Ibaka at center and Durant at the four. And... He doesn't do it every night. It's kind of more like LeBron, where he'll pick it, like, you know, like one out of every six or seven games, he'll actually engage on that end. But you instantly see how much of a difference that makes. And one in six, one in seven is a lot more frequently than it happened last year. So Cleveland could be one of those games. I mean, LeBron has always been a measuring stick for KD, but you, it's been more about the flashes than everything else. But those flashes are just as good as they've always been. Yeah, he's... Every time I watch the Warriors, I'm just kind of blown away by what he's doing because it just seems like this is the type of Kevin Durant we've always wanted in some ways. Like the the ISO heavy Durant that we saw carry the load in Oklahoma City was amazing because it was a testament to how good he is in, in, in as an individual player. Seeing him just kind of unleashed in a way that where he doesn't have to do everything and he doesn't have to you know just dribble and dribble and create his own shot every time is just kind of really interesting to watch, and it just makes them so the Warriors so scary. I kind of wonder when or if he he would assert himself in that way. You know, like, because Steph never... Well, he will. will. But, like, how much, I guess, is the question. Like, does it go to, like, closer to Oklahoma City, or is it, like, the the middle of it? 
the middle gap. It, it's the middle because I don't think he'll he'll ever be ball dominant in that way when the other guys are on the floor. You know, maybe he'll call for it a couple times, but he can be destructive off ball. It's something that Oklahoma City just didn't have him do that much. He he's Durant. I wrote a piece for the Athletic and I did a podcast on it too about how last year he was the most versatile scorer in the league and he can succeed in a lot of different ways. He had best. He's the best isolation guy in the league in my opinion. He's also great at spotting up and coming off screens and all that kind of stuff. He's a great shooter and he's a great scorer. The Thunder didn't ask him to do a lot of that stuff because that's just not the way their system worked. They had Russ, they had KD, they they had the personal dynamics of trading off and everything like that. And one thing that's also been really different for the Warriors this year, and I've talked about this lineup, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it kind of as being a combination podcast, is that Durant gets a couple minutes at the beginning of the second quarter and the beginning of the fourth to really be the guy who runs the offense. Sean Livingston is on the floor for those lineups, but Sean Livingston is not initiating the offense. Durant is. And he seems to enjoy it, but it's still not all the way. It's not even that where he's the only star on the floor. Sometimes, often Clay's on the floor, but Clay is, you know, he, he he's not initiating on yeah, right. the offense. Right. They, Durant still, even in those moments, is more of a collaborator than he ever was in Oklahoma City. And it's been striking that even at his most selfish, he's still more unselfish than he was there. That's really fascinating, um, and especially because I was shocked the other day, and I don't know if this is still the case. And I guess shocked is maybe too strong of a word. Clay Thompson's leading the Warriors in shot attempts. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was hilarious. I just kind of thought that was hilarious because it, his quote over the well, summer. I, I can explain that. Yeah, he did, please do. Clay Thompson is the only one of the four Warrior stars who is not a great passer. Like, he's gotten better. It's actually been a notable thing over the last couple weeks. He's getting better at lobbing to JaVale McGee. But all the other guys are good passers and willing passers. Clay, if he gets the ball and he's open, he is not overpassing. He's just shooting. That's just the way it is for him. I don't consider that a criticism yeah. when you're as good as he is. So when you think about the way that an offense works is that the Warriors do a lot of ball movement and player movement. It's been one of the staples of Kerr's regime, one of the biggest differences from Mark Jackson. So if any other player, Draymond, Steph, and especially Steph this year, because it seems like he's been a little bit off, that there are times when those guys pass off clean looks. And it can be for the team concept. It can be for, you know, maybe it was they're not feeling it or whatever. Clay is always feeling it. So if he <laughs> takes that, if he takes that look every time, that's just going to give him more shots than everybody else because he gets open a lot. And if if 95% of those open plays turn into makes, also he's gotten better as a driver. And that's opened up a little bit for him. And he's getting to the line slightly more than before. So it really has benefited Thompson in many ways more than anybody else. From a basketball kind of karma perspective, I think it's helped Durant the most because Clay's role is basically the same and Durant's entire basketball life has changed. Yeah. But... Clay is the biggest beneficiary because of the open looks. If Draymond was hitting his shots, it would actually probably be him because teams are just leaving him open above the break all the time. And sometimes he shoots it, sometimes he doesn't. He can do other things with it. But that's also one of the elements with this Warriors team. Like you brought up the idea, especially because of the 2015 finals, about the Warriors running a lot of pick and rolls. They haven't really done that this year. They didn't do much of it last year either in the playoffs. I attribute a lot of that to just Steph not being right. But They haven't used a ton of that this year, and I don't expect them to against the Cavs in this game. In the playoffs, yeah, we're going to get into a different conversation with Kevin and everybody else, but they can get into situations that look a lot like 
when Draymond would get the ball after Steph got trapped because it it really functions the same way. You know, the defense is a little bit discombobulated. Nobody's by Draymond, so he just dribbles in and makes a pass. And that's actually been one of the ways that JaVale McGee has been most helped because JaVale McGee is the only guy on the Warriors who can actually catch that lob. And because Zaza Pachulia is great at many things, he is not great at catching the ball in the paint or finishing in the paint. And the other guys are just a little bit out of it. So David David West is not an alley-oop finisher. So I'm going to be excited to see how the Cavs react to those situations because even if they're generated in a different way, they've dealt with them before. Yeah, and I don't really – I think what you're saying about Draymond getting open looks is going to happen in this game just because I don't think you can have Tristan Thompson continuously follow him out that far. I really don't think you can do it because it, it's going to compromise you on, on the boards, right? Like it, he can. Tristan Thompson is a great rebounder. He is not good enough to, to run in from the three-point line after contesting a shot and help the Cavs clean up the boards. He's just not. It can also It's also a really easy way to get fouls, especially if you're not good at it, because a player who has his, in, his intensity mm-hmm. and is going for rebounds, in that situation when you don't have position, has it can have a nasty penchant for fouls. It's kind of an underappreciated thing of it, but like if you if you have it on yourself, like I need to be the defensive rebounder, but you're in the wrong spot, it can be problematic. Yeah, I there's just uh, things like that to me are just what I'm looking forward to because I haven't been able to pick up things like this in other games with the Cavs. It's like the, I I can only say so much about how the Cavs are going to defend the Raptors because I just don't really see these complicated issues there. This is the team that I think presents just so many issues, and even at fifty percent of this game, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Same here. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, is it out of the, where is this your number one game on Christmas Day? Because for me, it's pretty far and away number one. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the other games. Like they could, it's a lot of things that could be fun, but we don't know yet. This is one that no matter what, it's going to be interesting. Even if it's not the most exciting game in the world, it's definitely going to be intellectually there. And a lot of the other ones, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to be do be covering and talking about a couple of the early ones, of course, including this one. But the, it's a weird year because a lot of times they try to have two headliners. But like the other, like that ABC game is is Bull Spurs. That could be fun. It very well could be, but we which admittedly don't know. Yeah, the only the only other game that really stands out to me is Bull Spurs just because I wanna see how the the Kawhi stuff works itself out. Um they're obviously gonna have him defend Jimmy Butler because like you have to have him defend Jimmy Butler, but the last time these two teams played and as as Matt Moore detailed over at CBS, and I'm I think you probably you probably saw this, like they just leave him over there and he's Kawhi, you know, and it just makes the Spurs' job so much harder. And the Bulls aren't even exactly that good, you know, like their offense is sort of just kind of whatever. But they won that last game by getting Robin Lopez post ups and Dwayne Wade isos, and that was that was enough against the Spurs. I kind of want to see that because like Celtics, Celtics Knicks doesn't do a lot for me because the Knicks aren't exactly. I'm not convinced they're actually good. <laughs> um, like Clippers Lakers, you know, no Blake makes makes that kind of a must win for the Clippers in some ways, but they should still be a lot better. Timberwolves Thunder, I'd be more into it if the Timberwolves had played better so far this year, but they are closing closing in on that last playoff spot as if we record this. So. Maybe that's worth it. And plus, it's Cat, it's Wiggins, and, it, and it's Russ. So, I mean, I, I, I think enough. that I think that's probably going to be, unless the Cavs and Warriors engage, that's probably going to be the best game. But I also don't know how much I'm going to learn from it. Yeah, I, I don't really think I would learn very much from that game. I almost kind of wish that was Thunder and uh, Houston. Like, I almost wish that was the game. Well, and those two teams play. Those are just fun games too. Like that, that would have been. And they had that that crazy one where Patrick Beverly, Patrick Beverly, basically made that nice defensive play at the end. But yeah, they the, they didn't really add a ton of like sizzle to these to these games. But 
Christmas is always fun. And another reason why I have some hope for this Warriors Caps game is that players always get up for it. Like that's just the way Christmas works. Sometimes they get overly revved up for it. And that is the way that this game gets bigger than just interesting is if both teams care. Yeah, and I guarantee, and to kind of to bring this back full circle, I guarantee you there's Draymond is probably going to say something about the Cavs' intro. Just based on how he's responded to stuff this year, there's no way that he's going to see the LeBron elbowing stuff or something that happens from the finals that they put back in the in the clip, because I think they probably will, knowing the Cavs' pregame uh, stash. I think there's probably going to be some blood coming out of that, because it's not going to be... Uh, a very friendly environment from the guy because the Cavs are very good at, at in terms of in-game ops of making the other team kind of feel like they're in the Cavs' domain and it's all it's just kind of overwhelming even when you've seen it 50 times or whatever the Cavs' in-game stuff is just it's a lot <laughs> and like on TV I think it conveys in the arena it's just like okay like this is this is a lot Cavs like you need to chill a little bit okay. yeah yeah, well, uh, uh, we're both looking forward to it. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Danny. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.